But, uh, you know, we're here uh, under duress, I guess. The uh, Flyers eliminated from the playoffs after getting blanked by the Islanders in Game 7. And, uh, you know, not the, uh, not the best night all around as far as hockey went. But we'll, uh, we'll talk about that. Some offseason changes, potentially. And uh, a little more. But first, we got some co-hosts to announce. Steve is here, as always. Steve, say hello. How are you guys doing? Sucks the flyer season over, but, you know, they put up a decent not well, I don't want to say they put up a good fight because they didn't put up a good fight in Game 7, but they at least made it in Game 7. Yeah, they did what they had to do to uh, get eliminated in Game 7, I guess. But uh, we got some other guests coming on tonight. Uh, for those of you that listened to Sisterly Pod last week, the second incarnation of Sisterly Pod, uh, Caitlin Reese and Katie Bogan are joining us, and they're joining me tonight because Sisterly Pod will now be its own show on Brotherly Pod, a new show added to the rotation here, uh, hosted by these two. So it'll be uh, fun. Uh, ladies, how are you doing tonight? Doing well, Dan. Thank you for having us on tonight. Yeah, thank you so much, Dan. Hope everybody's having a, a nice Labor Day weekend. I uh, I didn't actually know it was Labor Day until yesterday, so uh... <laughs> I see that seems about right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, mentally I'm still stuck in March. Is the problem? I never really moved past any of that. But aren't uh, we all? Yeah, <laughs> sure feels like it sometimes. But yeah, the uh, the old flyers there eliminated, as I mentioned, and. Uh, I don't know. Not the best game. They tried, kind of, if you want to call it that. It was more or less Carter Hart that tried, and the rest of the team just kind of existed. But uh, it led by Thomas Grice over the other end. 16 saves shutout. That's all he had to make was 16 saves. And uh, quite frankly, I would challenge that they even got 16 shots in goal. It felt like they got about five. Uh, just, just, uh, just a bad night. It kind of fit the rest of the series as far as... You know, the previous few games, they kind of fight and clawed their way back, but by no means were they really playing well in any of those games. And, um, yeah, it's just they kind of reap what they sow here. And, unfortunately, went out the way they did, but, you know, they, they fought back. So it can't be a total wash as far as, you know, what to take away from this series. Yeah, it's kind of like a whole mix of things because, you know, the Flyers didn't really play well against Montreal, but they did enough to survive. And then, as everybody was kind of saying and as everybody kind of was thinking, it was like you're going up against a bigger, better version of the of the Montreal Canadiens and the Islanders, and the Islanders play a tight defensive system, and they will capitalize on your opportunities and your mistakes. And I think we saw a lot of that from the Flyers, especially when they were down – 3-1, you saw that in games one, you saw it in games three and four, and in game seven. Any mistake that the Flyers 
made, especially there were there were quite a few players in this series that made mistakes, and the Islanders were on top of them going back the other way with, you know, an odd man rush, and they were scoring just it seemed like every single odd man rush they were scoring on, especially like last night. There was just like at, I mean, he was good in the Montreal series, but Travis Sanheim did not have a very good series against the Islanders. And it it sucks because he is such a good player and he has a lot of upside, but he got a ass kicking in this series. And he was always, it seemed like falling off of his skates or falling backwards. He got like toe picked. I remember he toe picked himself and fell down and that led to a goal. Travis Sanheim fell down (sighs) and open ice. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like, Every sort of mistake that you made, the Islanders put it in the back of the net, and there was nothing that Hart can do. I mean, Hart was a little bit, like, he didn't have his best game, but there were really wasn't anything you could do against, uh, you know, what the Islanders were doing in Game 7. In Game 7, they looked like, they're like, all right, we got to fucking finish this thing, and we got to finish it right now. And they once they got that two-goal lead, they just locked it down, and there was nothing that the Flyers could do. So this whole series was just kind of... It seemed like the Flyers were underdogs, even though they were technically the number one seed from that round robin. But, you know, I'm happy that they put it to game seven. And I know we're going to get to their whole offseason coming in, this whole what they could possibly do and what, you know, what we have going on for the future. But, you know, at least they made it seven and they got us excited again. It wasn't the prettiest thing, but, you know, it's it's something. You know, Steve, you started to touch on the uh, style of play difference between us and the Islanders, and I think that was the biggest part of the series. You know, the Islanders play, like you said, a very tight defense. They're grinders. If you watch them, um, they hold the puck for a lot longer than we do on every single play, and the the plays that they make as a result are so much greater than we're able to do. Um, We actually started counting Thursday night during the game, um, the Flyers were only holding the puck for less than three seconds for for most of the game. And every time that they were making passes like that, it was it was a turnover. So it, you know, it comes down to playing the puck properly and really just grinding out your opponents. You watch last night, they were exhausted. And I really contribute that to a lot of what was going on in the previous games. Yeah, it was it was just definitely disappointing to see though. Like they had they had come back so far um from being down 3 to 1 in the series and they had two games that even though I think the Islanders were the better team in most of the in both of those games. I mean, you have to give the Flyers credit that they came back and they won both of them. Um but yeah, I mean, you know, it's always disappointing when the season ends, but I I think I'm just I'm I'm more upset at at how they lost. Yeah, they were just just had a completely lifeless effort, except from Carter Hart. I mean, you know, it's the biggest game in the season, and you don't show up to play. I mean, it's it's awful. I think I was mentally preparing myself for them to fail, just so I didn't get my hopes up because I'm a Flyers fan and I know better. But you know, <laughs> just the way they came out, it's like really you couldn't at least try a little bit. You know, you had to just get blown out of the water there. But it is what it and is. The- I'm not, I said last night, I'm not even angry. I'm just disappointed more than anything. You know, as, what really made me angry more than anything, I was reading these player interviews, and they're hockey players. They say generic stuff all the time. It's what they do. But, like, I was reading, oh, we'll be back next year. We're going to be better. Things are going to change. We're in the right direction. It's like, I don't want to hear that. You know, go out there and play like you mean it. You know, I don't want to hear things are going to get better after you just put one of the most heartless efforts I've ever seen on the ice. 
you know that was kind of the thing that got me more than anything but oh as a whole as a fan um yeah i, I was just disappointed i wasn't really angry um they tried they came back quite frankly just the way this series was going they theoretically should have been in it but they weren't you know for whatever reason the islanders just had their number the flyers kind of changed their style in the postseason which can go back to you know what they were doing at the end of the year kind of after christmas after that western conference road trip where they just got you know stomped into the ground they really started to dominate the play and they made teams play to them and once they got to the bubble here for whatever it was i'm sure the break affected them more you know than anything but they kind of played down to Montreal and they fell into that defensive trap and they played the Islanders. who, so as Steve said, you know, the, the Islanders are like the finished product of what the Canadians are trying to do. And they fell into that trap and it ultimately did them in. And I don't know that, that style of play, they didn't dictate it once. And, and as Caitlin was saying, you know, they weren't holding onto the pucks. They, they, they were just, there was no consistency. There was no dominance out of them. And I think that as well goes back to the power play, you know, the four for 52, you know, how many times did they even get set up on the power play? You know, it, very rarely. There was never that many even good chances. And it's just, there were so many things. And that's the, the part with, you know, uh, uh, analyzing all of this is there's so many things to pick apart. You know, just from every aspect of this team going into the bubble and the way they played failed on some front. You know, and and that's what makes it so hard to analyze. And I think that's where the disappointment comes from. It's like they didn't necessarily go down swinging as much as they did. They just kind of worked through it, fought back to a game seven, and then gave up. Yeah, I yeah. totally agree. Go ahead, Steve. All right, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're good. It's good. We got to work out our chemistry here. Um, <laughs> yeah, you kind of you kind of said it right, and it's just like playoff hockey in general is its own beast. It's its own thing. So, you know, who knows what it would have been like if we didn't have this whole COVID situation in that, you know, the Flyers could have been on that hot streak, like, before COVID and then come in and then gotten there, you know, drew, like, the Pittsburgh Penguins or the Washington Capitals, and that could have been a totally different series, and we don't know how that would have worked out. But it just, yeah, it just seemed like the COVID break might have affected them a little bit. And playoff hockey is very different once you get in there and you start getting into it. And it becomes a lot tighter. Any sort of mistakes you make, then it really starts to compound and they really start to affect you because you no longer can just be like, oh, we'll just get a loser point. No, you got to get in there and you got to win it. You got to play a tight game. You can't make a lot of mistakes because certain teams will capitalize on them like we saw with the Islanders and Montreal was unable to capitalize, but they were getting all their opportunities. So it was just kind of like a whole thing of like, the Flyers made too many mistakes and were definitely off of their game. They are kind of more like a Tampa or a Boston in that they are a little bit more run and gun. They like to play in the offensive zone. They like to dance around the offensive zone for, you know, a minute or two minutes and try and set something up and throw it right at the goal. Um, but it's just that, like, the Montreal – teams and the Islanders just play such a tight defensive system that the Flyers couldn't get set up on their own zone. And every time they did look like they had some sort of offensive pressure, the defense was right there to make sure that the goalie was able to see the puck and that they were able to get the puck and they were able to clear it out. I mean, one of the biggest things I noticed that was causing a lot of mistakes from the Flyers is that the Islanders and the Montreal Canadiens, they were just putting people right on the puck carrier, like ASAP. So the minute, especially the, I think this affected Travis Sanheim a lot. Once Travis Sanheim 
had the puck, there was somebody there immediately, and he looked a little bit gun-shy. He wasn't making his crisp, clean passes that he's used to making where he's sending it through the zone and, you know, catching like a Jake Voracek or a Claude Giroux or someone up on the wing and they're breaking into the offensive zone with speed. He was having trouble with those sort of things, and I think all the forwards were kind of having trouble moving the puck because the Islanders and the Canadians were right on top of them and they had to quick make decisions and they just didn't seem to adapt to it. And especially I think that's why also the power play didn't do so well is because this, for some reason, the Flyers love to just set up in their zone and they love to set up in that stupid umbrella and take forever and make the prettiest looking passes looking for the prettiest shot on goal instead of just winging it at the net when you just kind of needed to wing it at the net and just hope you got a lucky bounce or something like that. They seem to just be looking for that pretty pass and the Islanders and the Canadians were so good at defending those type of things because they're used to playing a defensive style of hockey that it disrupted everything. And then the Flyers just flew. They just fell into complete disarray there. Yeah, I I agree. Um, and I think a lot of that goes back to age because, you know, we do have the vets that do know how to work the playoffs. But at the same time, we have so many young kids that have never seen a NHL playoff before. Um, and if they have, it was one series worth where we just got blown out by the Penguins. So it's really something that they, they're going to have to work at and figure out um, how they can get these kids ready for the next round. You know what I mean? I mean, part of that comes down to the coaching staff, too. I mean, they, they, they just have to be prepared. I mean, even if they don't know what it's like, they have the vets and the leadership in the locker room who have been there, who can, you know, give them some advice as to what it's like, but you know, you can't just not show up to a game like they did yesterday. There's no way Michelle Terrian comes back, right? Oh no, not I, without a doubt. He's gone. I don't think so. I think actually he does. And I not feel like because, he does. Not because I but, want for him to come back, yeah. but because I think one of the first hires AV made was Michelle Terrian because I think that was one of his conditions of being hired was he's like, Michelle Terrian is like my close personal friend. I look to Michelle Terrian for guidance. And he's like buddy buddies with them. They're, you know, big Canadian brothers and they used to just have a lot of interactions together. And I think AV hired him like right off the bat and that was like one of his first moves. So I feel like his buddy's going to stay and I I hope he doesn't because you saw what happened with this power play and it wasn't the best power play unit at all, even during the regular season. The penalty kill was good. So at least Mike Yo was doing something. But yeah, this power play wasn't good. But I, I have a feeling he stays because he's buddies with AV. Well, Steve, I've never seen AV as depressed as he was during his post-game interview last night. I think he's going to do so whatever sad. he needs to do in the offseason. He was, yeah, that was something else. That was a he sad martini answer. last night. <laughs> he didn't want to answer any questions. It was just bad. I also I also think he, he won't come back just because both, both A.V. and Chuck Fletcher have been known. Th- they can tell when something's not working and when things need to change. Um, like the previous regime who just kind of <laughs> kept trying to, you know, make sure that it was their way or the highway. You know, I think both of them saw this series that the power play just is not what it needs to be. And also from the regular season, you know, it was just okay. It was just average. And if they want to be, you know, contenders, it's it's got to be better than that. And if they want to make it farther than the playoffs, it's got to be a whole heck of a lot better than four for 52. Yeah, they're not blind. I think they're going to do what needs to be done. I hope so. I mean, that's how you beat a team, like a defensive stalwart team like the Canadians or the Islanders, is you got to capitalize on the power play. 
you know, <laughs> that's where you're like, okay, they don't have as many people. We can at least take advantage of our opportunities. And, you know, I don't think they scored a single power play goal during that Islander series. They nope. did not. They yeah. did not. So, you know, if you're going to have trouble scoring, then, you know, going over in an entire series is not the way to do it. That's not how you beat a team like that. And especially with like a yeah. team, like I, I kind of brought it up when we did our little series preview. It was like, Varlamov to me is not a very good goalie. So if you just kind of shoot pucks at him and you kind of get stuff by, then he can be pretty leaky sometimes. And I don't think he's like your upper echelon like a carry price was. So it was like, that's where I thought the Flyers had a little bit of an advantage. So if you just kind of winged pucks at him and you did a little, you know, you got him loose and you kind of saw it. And I think game six is like Varlamov was a little bit shaky. It's like, if you get pucks in front of him or you overload him and, you know, shoot a ton of pucks at him, then, you know, he can let in a few leaky goals. So it's just, you got to take advantage of those things. And going over on a power play in an entire series is not good, especially against a tight defensive team where you're struggling to score goals. That's when I knew the Flyers were screwed yesterday, is when they put Grice in. Grice is a Flyers killer. Has been for quite some time. And once I saw that name, I thought, oh, it's over. Grice, four appearances against the Flyers. 100 saves and 106 shots in four games this this season in the playoffs and regular. Not good. That's one of those guys that uh, I I knew the second they did that. It was over. Uh, I thought it would be a little more, uh, you know, entertaining from the Flyers' perspective. Go out on your sword, for Christ's sake. But, nope, that was not to be. Yeah, that that was a perfect segue, actually, because that was the next thing I was going to start talking about was the fact that we couldn't get any scoring chances because we would, would not shoot the puck. We had, what, 18 pucks going into overtime on Thursday? and Or 18 shots going into overtime on Thursday? And how many last night? Uh, 16, I believe. 16. Yeah. In three periods? For the whole game. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that's good. A, that's a normal first period for us, usually. I mean, at that point, like, if you are facing a defensive team like the Islanders, like, you just have to just start. I don't care, like, if you're not getting good scoring opportunities. Just start winging it at the net, and maybe something will go in. That's what you kind of have to hope for at this point. I don't care if it leads to odd man rushes or, like, it's coming from the outside of the net or blah, blah, blah. I, I don't care. Just get something on net. Like, you can't – It's. I don't think it's acceptable to have – what did the Flyers end up with, like, like 18 shots last night? That's not acceptable, especially that's in a game seven. That's one of those just, like that, – that, that's one of those things that has carried over for years with this team. This is not a new issue. Overpassing it and not taking shots on goal and looking for the pretty plays instead of just getting it done. And for whatever reason, once they start, you know, the, the, the confidence goes away. They start looking for the pretty passes, the highlight reel plays, the, the one-timers, and things like that. And, and it, it killed them this series. And yeah. uh, this is just, you know, they just fell into their own, got, maybe got in their own heads, fell into their own rut, whatever you want to call it. You know, that's, that's just what happened here. Yeah, I agree. I said it so many times this series. We were playing with the puck too much. We needed to just shoot. Yeah, they don't ask. They don't ask uh, how. They ask how many. And if you hold on to the puck too long, that's when you also get in trouble because the Islanders and the Montreal Canadiens will be right on top of you and poke checking that sucker away. But Steve, with what I said earlier, if you go back and you watch, every time we had the puck for longer than three seconds, we made a good play. It was those three second passes that really cost us the series. They took yeah. 47 shots on goal in 157 minutes or so in the last oh two games. Oh, my God. Yikes. Between regulation and overtime. That is 
Unacceptable. Unacceptable. And it, and it sucks because, like, the Flyers had a lot of momentum and they did a lot of things right. Like, Carter, like, we have a lot of good things, like, going forward to, like, look at, too. Like, we know we have a surefire number one goaltender. Like, Carter Hart is a godsend in this city now because we finally have a really good goaltender. Ivan Provorov is a good number one defenseman. He's not, like, on your level of, like, a high skin in or anything like that, but he is a solid number one defenseman. You have good pieces. We have young pieces that now have these playoff experiences and now we're getting these opportunities and have this talent. It's just that they just didn't play up to their standards and it kind of looked like the moment overwhelmed them. Like I'm glad that they were able to fight back and they were able to win games five and six and that they were able to do these things and come in, you know, come in clutch with those overtime goals. They won every single, you know, game in the Islanders series via overtime. And that's something pretty remarkable too. It's just that, you know, there are good things, but it's just like the, this entire like return to playoffs it's just like it drained a lot out of all of us because it just felt like they were just getting their ass kicked because they weren't controlling play they were always kind of seemed like they were coughing up the puck they always seemed like they were on their heels and they did manage to win these series and these games but it just like felt like such an ass kicking even though you know it might not have necessarily been that way i felt a lot like i was watching the hackstall era flyers <sighs> yeah uh I uh, I did my positivity rant on the Anger Negative show last night, you know, uh, ironically enough, I guess. But, you know, I, uh, it, it was there were so many people, like, the immediate reaction last night was, well, well it's a failure. The season's a failure. No, it's over. We, there's no more to do. Blah, 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 blah. But as Steve was talking about, there's they got to the second round for the first time in eight years. Everybody on this team worth a shit essentially is you know less than 24 you know it was their first playoff experience the pieces are here the vast majority of this team is going to be back next year like there's no negativity they did fight back from a 3-1 deficit into game seven and they just kind of crapped the bed on the finish line but they was there there's far more positives than negatives to take away from this year and who knows you know the extenuating circumstances being in a bubble and in away from their families and whatever the case is you know probably didn't help the mentality going in overall and and if the season never stopped and they were on that you know nine game winning streak that got ended by boston the last game of the regular season who knows if they kept that momentum going over the last dozen games of the regular season and carried that into the playoffs this could be a totally different team right now. We could still be watching them, you know, but um, it just—it it just was not to be. It, it's hard to—I I just don't understand how people can be so negative about what happened. Yeah, I mean, we weren't even in the playoffs last year, so the season is a positive. And then I'm going to shout out at Minka TB17. She tweeted today some positives: Faraby is 20, Hart is 22, Patrick is 21. TK Provy and Myers are 23, Mac is 24, Lindblom's 24, and Sanheim is also 24. We're going to see these guys for a lot of years to come. Yep. Yeah, yeah I agree. I think there were there were definitely more positives than negatives to take away yesterday, but I, I wasn't even going to think about the positives until today. Last night, I just kind of <laughs> let myself wallow and be upset about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, all the all the kids are young. This was their you know, for most of them, probably their first extended taste of playoff experience. And we were one win away from 
the Eastern Conference Final. I mean, that's that is an overwhelming success. Yeah, Flyers Twitter was surprisingly like negative. I saw like a lot of negative. Surprisingly, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'd be surprised if they were like, positive. All right, yeah, I shouldn't have said surprisingly. I mean, it's but it kind of did surprise me because I'm like, we were one win away, and yes, the series didn't look fantastic. But there was, there's still a lot of positives for our future going forward, like you two just laid out. Like, it's like there's a lot of stuff going for us. And I think now Chuck Fletcher and Elaine Vigneault kind of know what works and what to kind of tinker with and what to go with because this year was kind of unexpected. We were supposed to be like a bubble team, and now we're just like we were kind of near Stanley Cup contenders. I would think we were Stanley Cup contenders. I mean, if you're one went away from the conference finals, you're pretty close to a contender. So now we know what we have to work with. This core is young, like you both said. So it's like there's a lot of positives here. But I was down like, oh, everyone's like, sell these people. Oh, get rid of these people. Oh, it's so bad. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that's, it was a game seven. Anything can happen in a game seven. And you got shut down by an extremely strong defensive team. It happens. We are going to come back. And it's not going to be sunshine and rainbows because you never know what could happen next year, especially with Terrier's MCL. So we don't know how long that's going to last. But you still have a lot of you know, positives and a lot of upside. And just, I don't think everyone should be like all doom and gloom and sell the team. And, oh, it's been 45 years since we won the cup. We're never going to win, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I think we're entering a time period for the Flyers where things are going to start on the rise. Like, you know, I, my wife is the Capitals fan and she saw her team rise with Ovechkin and Backstrom and Holtby. And they went on this huge rise basically for this entire decade and they were strong. And now they're starting to calm down and they're starting to fall off. I think we're about to start hitting that rise. And I think we're going to get ready for a run of like the Capitals and the Penguins. We just need a few pieces and we need to get, you know, maybe a superstar in here or something like that. But there are a lot of positives to take forward. It, it did suck. The series sucked, but it's not doom and gloom here. It's always doing like cool here, Steve. Yeah. I feel like a lot of fans like to forget that winning the Stanley Cup is one of the hardest things to do in sport, first of all. And only one team gets to do it every year. So, yeah, it may have been 45 years since, but look at how close we came this year. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous to me that people get so angry that it's been that long. If you would have told me at the beginning of the year that this group of guys was going to make it to the Eastern Conference Final, or one game away from the Eastern Conference Final, I should say, I wouldn't believe you. So, <laughs> I classify this yeah, as a win. Yeah, I agree. You know? Like, I'll take it. Like, the, 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 I guess I'm not, the, the, the negativity, a lot of the people were more in the blow it up phase, which baffled me more than anything. If you want to be negative and complain about the performance, more power to you, because that's what we're doing right now. But uh, the people that are like, oh, you got to change the core, you got to strip through the sea and trade them and trade everybody and prospects and this and What the fuck? You know, where is this coming from? <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, I don't know. I, 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 it's, it is easy to be on the less than positive side right now. I get it. But at the same time, there's far more positive than there are negative for the future. And I'm sure nobody wants to hear that. And, you know, Stanley Cup or bust all year, every year. I get it. But at the end of the day, like I said, I, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed that they went out the way they did. But as far as the future goes, you know, the Flyers probably still have one of the brightest futures in the league. Yeah, I mean, especially when this team went farther than any Flyers team has gone for eight years. Like, why would you blow it up? It just, right. it, I saw it too. It didn't make any sense. I want to go on the record and say that I did not cry last night. 
proud of you. Proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Progress, guys. Progress. So it's, it's a. I, I I didn't cry either, but uh, I sure felt like it after watching them. Is Manny here? I am. Good evening, everybody. Did you just She's get alive. here? You've been sitting here for like twenty minutes. So I didn't acknowledge you. Probably about five minutes. It's all right. Oops. I I, I was uh, checking the stats. I didn't even see you were on. Manny's here, everybody. The other, uh, the, uh, the 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 better half of BPW Radio is here. Whoa. <laughs> better half. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> <clears throat> High praise. High praise. Ouch. How's everybody doing? Uh, well, the party's over, guys. Party's about halfway. All right, time to go. <laughs> party's over. <laughs> There you go, Steve. Just because I got here, the party's over. <laughs> yeah, well, apparently you're the better half, so I might as well just see myself out like that Flyers dagger last night wasn't good enough. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, like all of you, I mean, I wasn't happy, but I wasn't terribly angry either. Um, Watching the game yesterday, like nervous all day, excited. You know, this team showed me more moxie than I would give them credit for. And they fought back from 3-1. And then... You know, basically, once it got to two nothing with Andy Green's goal, I was like, "Oh no, this is gonna this is gonna get a little bit ugly." And then once it turned to three nothing, I basically resigned myself to the fact that it was over and went on and and turned it off actually and watched something else. So because I was done watching it because they were awful yesterday. Um, when you have like three shots on goal in the second period, uh, listen, the Flyers emptied the tank in that first ten minutes and they weren't rewarded and you know what? Grice shut the door. You got to give him credit. He should have been in there from probably from game one of the series. And I'd really be interested to see if Grice is going to get the net to start uh, the series against Tampa. And I would suspect that he is. If Grice was in there from game one, they probably would have got swept. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I agree there. Let's, uh, let's, let's breathe some positivity into this negative mess. Oscar Lindblom returned, caught the last two games of the year. And they clearly didn't play for him because uh, they, you know, got shut out and eliminated. But hey, he came back and didn't see any kind of substantial role. Was on the fourth line for a majority of that time. TOI seventeen thirty in the first game, sixteen forty two in the second. No points, minus one. Um, obviously, none of that really matters right now. Just the fact that he actually played. Uh, less than a full calendar year, 260 days or whatever it was uh, since his last game. The fact that he even played is incredible. And uh, we, you know, we, <laughs> Caitlin said she didn't cry that they were eliminated. I may have uh, teared up a little bit when uh, when he came back on uh, game six. Yeah, I thought when I found out that he was coming back, I cried. I'll admit that. You, you guys know that I cry over hockey all the time. I cried. That was the only time yeah, between Thursday one. and yesterday, though, so. Yeah, that was that was super emotional to watch. I it, I teared up watching him. You know, just kind of on the bench and in and warm ups and everything. And I was like, even when they were like calling his name, like on the ice, like I was just like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe that this kid is back already. I guess. Go ahead, Steve. 
Yeah, and I was gonna say like credit to the Islanders and Barry Trotz too, because you know when he was on the ice, the Islanders were all giving stick taps along with the Flyers, and before even Trotz opened up, he opened up his press conference yesterday before he even said anything or I took any questions. He praised you know Oscar Lindblom and said like, oh, it's so hard for him to, you know, make this, and he ended up you know fighting cancer and beating it and to come back, and you know it was great for the Flyers organization and how they supported him and everything like that. So you know, class act from Barry Trotz, a fantastic head coach for even just before even answering any questions, just coming out and praising Oscar Lindblom and the Flyers, you know, because this kid has been through so much and it was so great for him to have his moment and to come back and just just be with his team because it would have been a bummer if he wasn't able to play. And if he, you know, he wanted to be with his teammates, he wanted to be with his, you know, his second family basically. And it was a great moment that he was able to get in and, you know, do this for himself because you know he looked he looked so happy out on the ice and out in the warm-ups and out when he was messing with the guys it was so great to see i believe av said his original return date would have been the first game of the eastern conference final and uh he was just ready you know i guess i don't know if av went to Lindblom or Lindblom went tv and i mean uh, you know, said that they were ready and he was out there uh, for game six, which is two uh, two games earlier than his return, which is good because they didn't make it to the Eastern Conference final, which uh, I thought would have been totally on brand for the Flyers if they got eliminated right before Lindblom returned. We didn't get to see him for another four months. Well, first of all, Barry Trotz looks like a potato. So he's, <laughs> so he's Mr. Potato Head. But second of all, since we're talking about Oscar Lindblom, you know, he defied the odds and he came back and it, it's such a, an amazing like human interest story. Like it, it totally transcended sports um, with everything that was going on for Flyers fans. Anyways, um, it was a great sidebar to or really the main story. Actually, in, in a way, it was like a co co headline with the Flyers uh, playing in the playoffs. I wonder what people's expectations are for Oscar Lindblom going into next year. I mean, he's going to be working out hard, I'm sure, in the offseason. He's going to have the training camp. Um, I'm wondering what people's expectations are for him coming into next season. When you say people's, season. do you mean educated Twitter. people or Flyers Twitter? <laughs> Flyers Twitter. Or Flyers Reddit. Oh, Jesus, Lord have mercy. No. I'm Flight, people are going to expect him to jump right back into what he was before he got sick. And Does he score 20 goals? Mm, I don't think so. I will base I that entirely off of what the offseason looks like. <laughs> See if they can get somebody that knows how to score a goal in the offseason. Uh, maybe do to help him out a little bit there. I don't know. I, I don't know what to expect of him moving forward. I think it's going to take time. I think from a skill perspective, he definitely looked like one of the better players in the ice the last two games, just from a, a raw talent um, level. But, you know, is he going to pick right back up where he left off? Probably not. Having three months now or so to, you know, work out and get back in shape and, and figuring, you know, his body out again. That's probably the big part, you know, where you can kind of go in here. Maybe these two games helped. You know, he kind of knows on a personal level, what to work on now, what he, you know, uh, uh, can, you know, work on, get stronger, better. And um, I don't know. I don't know what to expect moving forward. I'm sure Flyers Twitter. I mean, they still think, you know, Nolan Patrick's going to be a top guy. So who knows what the hell they're going to make of Oscar Lindblom. But um, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, like I said, the fact that he's back at all is uh, more than incredible. So I'll, I'll take that as, as a W on its own. I just want to say, you know, it wasn't just a hockey game that he got back into. It was a playoff game. So yeah. I feel like that's going to definitely be a little bit of preparation going into next season. And 
Yeah, I think we probably do have a lot of expectations for him um, that are probably going to be a little too high as far as Flyers Twitter goes. But if you watch the plays that he was making last night and Thursday night, he was getting pucks to the net, unlike his teammates. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't really have any expectations for him at the moment, just because I think it's like you guys said. Like the fact that he's even out on the ice and he, he's even back in a Stanley Cup playoff game is like insane. So I think, yeah, I guess if he uses like this summer and maybe the next season to kind of like, you know, kind of get his body back to like where it was before, that's all I can really ask. Yeah, I agree. Plus, you know, at least he'll provide, you know, good defense, too. He looked really, really good on um, defense last night, too. So at least if he's not providing anything offensively, he's at least helping to break up pucks and, you know, keeping the puck out of our net, too. Just so we know, I wasn't speaking on my expectations. I was just speaking on general expectations. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it, like, it's so hard to put an expectation on this guy i just think that some fans are just going to be completely irrational and think that we're going to have the oscar lindblom <laughs> from this season and i don't know if that's fair or not Flight like I, I really don't being irrational what? well I'm, listen crazy. just for the other shoe to drop i have a feeling that you know the, even the people that are being really supportive of nolan patrick if he doesn't come to training camp in in you know november or december or whenever this thing gets underway I think a lot of people are really going to lose patience with him. I think I saw a, a thing I was reading a little bit that like people within the Flyers organization were thinking that they're getting ready to give up on Nolan Patrick. Like they may try and do something like and maybe just either move on from him or because he is an RFA. So they, you know, they have kind of things working in their advantage and that they're like, you haven't played a lot, you have this issue, so let's do like a bridge deal or a, you know, kind of prove a deal. But I've, I've also heard some things and was reading some things today from a few other people that it was like, oh, they're kind of ready to maybe even move on from them. Especially if we, you know, we're not going to have the best of cap situations. We're going to have about $7 million in cap space unless we move Ghost and JVR. So, and you have a bunch of RFAs like Haig and um, I forget the others. Um, so you're gonna ha- you're not gonna have a ton of money, so they may even potentially move on from Nolan Patrick or something like that. But you know that's all a little bit hearsay at this point. His name popped up quite a bit on the old Twitterverse today. Some people were penciling him in as next year's second line center, and some people were coming up with trade packages as a way to get him out. And I don't realistically know what's going on. Uh, we had Curtis Gabriel on one time, and he kind of let it slip that he took a puck to the ear. Obviously, there's been migraine issues, uh, as they've claimed since, and he was skating at the end of the regular season, and people expected him to be back in time for the playoffs, especially with the break, and that didn't happen. And I don't know. And they really, obviously, nobody's given an update on him lately, because who cares? They're in the playoffs. I don't know what they do here. I, I think as far as trades go, it's going to be damn near impossible. I mean, he's a former second overall pick who showed some early kind of potential in his career, but he hasn't played in a full season now. And if he's still not ready to go, then who's going to, you know, who's going to swipe him up? But uh, I I also don't think he's going to come back into the lineup and be a star either. I, I don't know what to make of this guy right now. As far as I'm concerned, you just have to, if you're the Flyers and, and he's not ready, you have to move forward with the intention that he's not going to be there. If he comes back 
and you want to put him in the lineup or you want to use him as a trade chip in the future, more power to you. But right now, you can't even consider this guy as part of your team. You know, you, you just can't. You have to focus on what you have. And right now, you do not have Nolan Patrick. Me and my buddies were speculating about a month and a half ago. Um, he's going to find his way to Seattle somehow. It's possible. I mean, especially if they need a, you know, somebody like JVR, you know, if they don't take him straight up, we saw it with the Vegas draft. You know, you slide a Nolan Patrick, former second overall pick their way, you know, especially if he's healthy and go, listen, you want this guy to take JVR, you know, that's that's what's going to happen. So that, that wouldn't yep. surprise me, actually, if that, uh, if that was the ended up being the case next summer. Yep. Yeah, so everything that I heard, there was a podcast and they said that the Flyers were thinking of maybe putting him in on trade rumors um, going forward. If they could package Nolan Patrick with something to get something that they feel that they're missing, something that they need. And I know, Dan, that you've written an article on on Brotherly Puck with uh, regards to the future being tied directly to this Morgan Frost, Nolan Patrick, who's going to be the 3C sort of thing going forward. Or do we look outside the organization and bring somebody in to fill that need? Because I think that this whole, you know, Grant thing uh, throughout the playoffs showed was that 3C was a really big hole and we just couldn't get through uh, the New York Islanders with Grant as our three C. I mean, he's just wasn't the same guy that he was uh, from the regular season. And it really showed this is going to be one of the key things that the flyers are going to have to zero in on in the off season. And they got to make a decision here. Do you stick with Nolan Patrick? Do you, are you really confident that Morgan Frost is going to step up? and be your 3C at some point during this coming season. Hopefully it's at the beginning. Uh, but if not, you got a hole there in 3C that you do have to fill. Um, and there's some teams like, listen, Tampa's going to be up against it. Sorelli would be great. I don't see him uh, coming to Philly because of our cap situation, but we would need to clear out some space anyways as a first step in the offseason uh, just to get some talks and some dance partners going here. Um, the key will be flexibility. And for me, I think step one, Flyers fans might not like it, uh, at least some of them, the brain dead ones won't anyways. But step one for, for Chuck Fletcher, for me, is Shane Goss to spare. Because that $4.5 million, you know, you, you don't like it. Yeah, he was a good player for us at some point. But listen, I, I, Hag, you can say what you want about him. And I do blame him for that one goal, uh, that game-winning goal when he just, you know, blew a coverage and wasn't covering anybody in front of the net. Overall, I thought he had a very good series compared to the other defensemen on this team, uh, with the exception of Provorov and maybe Myers. Um, I just don't see a way forward with Shane Gostisbehar going forward forward and that 4.5 million is going to be key to getting any sort of transactions or trades done this offseason i believe after they uh sign all the restricted free agents and and such i believe the they're around one and a half million projected uh you know with with sanheim and myers and such or um not sanheim who the hell's the guy hagen myers um, you know, as far as what they expect out of them. But yeah, I, uh, Manny's kind of beating me to the punch here, but I've got quite a few, uh, fun little trade articles coming up on Brotherly Puck over the next week or two here that I spent writing today. And, uh, I, uh, Goss is one of them. And I, I definitely think he's the biggest trade chip. And his name's popped up on Twitter a lot. Some people still have faith in him. I haven't had faith in him in about um, four years now. But, um, as far as a piece, like the four and a half million for three more years hurts. That sucks. 
the fact that he could not crack the playoff roster over Robert Haig sucks. You know, it's it's going to be a hard sell, but I think there are more than enough teams out there that are struggling for a defenseman or could use, you know, maybe a boost on the power play or something like that where Gossespear is not going to be impossible to move. I don't, however, think you're going to get anything in return. I, I think this could be, we just saw the Jake Allen deal, um, you know, where it was essentially got a couple late round picks for the kid. And uh, that's more or less what I would expect with Goss's bear. You know, it is more, if you're going to move him from the Flyers perspective, don't expect anything solid in return. Don't expect much in return at all, but expect to get that four and a half million dollars off the books, which at the end of the day is far more important for your number seven defenseman who can't crack the roster on a regular basis. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I listen, I've been one of Ghost's biggest defenders since he made the Flyers lineup. And yeah, I mean, I love him, but I, I definitely think he's he's getting moved in the offseason. I mean, he can't stay in the lineup, and I and I do love that offensive style that he brings, but I think too often there are too many question marks surrounding his games where with Robert Haig, like, he's dependable, and you can kind of you know what you're getting. Yeah. That was the biggest thing about Haig is, is you know what you're going to get. He may not be great, but you know what you're going to get, whereas Goss is spare, you never know. You're either going to get Eric Carlson or you're going to get your local ECHL defenseman. You, know? you never know. Yep. And there's such a span there and you really can't, you can't have that, especially in, in the playoffs. You just can't. Full disclosure. Yeah. I've been a uh, Flyers fan for three full seasons now. And in those three seasons, he has not produced anything worthwhile of me liking his style of play. Yep. It's just even too, like the reason, like I could see people being like, Oh, we need to have Gossespear in, and you saw what he did in like those Tampa games. He he does provide offensive upside, and when he's on, he's on. But he never meshed well. He was always going to be a third pair defenseman because you're not breaking up Perfroff Niskin, and you were not going to break out Sanheim Myers. So he had to work with Justin Braun, and every time they tried to do Gossespear Braun, oh, it was an painful. absolute disaster. He could not work with Justin Braun. Now, I don't know if Justin Braun will be back, but if you can find a third pair of defensemen that can work with Shane Goss's bear, then maybe this thing has a chance to work. You don't know what's going to happen, but chances of you finding something like that are uh, probably slim pickings a little bit. So I, I just don't think it's necessarily going to work out. And I want the guy to succeed, but I'm just tired of it. It's, it's going to start going into win now mode. And if you've got $4.5 million in a player who's going to be a third-pair defenseman, unless he's never going to be a first-pair defenseman, so you're never going to be able to stick him with Provorov. You're not breaking up Sanheim Meyer, so he has to be on third pair, and $4.5 million for a third-pair defenseman isn't the best value, especially in this this year and probably next year when things are going to be strapped cash-wise or, or cap-wise because of COVID. So you got to find savings where you can get it. So I think he has to be the odd man out. I mean, if he goes there, if he goes to another team and he starts lighting it up, I'm going to be really happy for him because it's like there was that player all along. I'm happy for him, but I just don't – like certain players just don't work out here or worth your team that you bring them up. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. I look at an example like Mike Green. Um, when he was a capital, he was a really, really productive player, but they kind of saw it. it as like, yeah, he's kind of an only offensive uh, type defenseman. So they kind of shipped him out in the middle of, you know, their whole big runs and they had to do something. They kind of saw it happening. He just wasn't fitting in and it wasn't going to work with, especially Barry, 
uh, trots aside the play, so they shift out Mike Green. It's kind of going to be that same sort of situation, I think, is that you got to just ship him out because it's just not going to work here, and you need that money for other things. God, peak Mike Green was so much fun to watch. Oh, he was, though. Mm. He was pretty epic. Which, uh... Huh? What? Go for it, Katie. Oh, do you know if, if Ghost ever played with Mark Friedman in the AHL with the Phantoms? I don't think so. Maybe when they I don't were, think so I either. I think when he got sent down, he might have, but I don't think they. I think uh, I don't think Friedman was around yet when he was. Uh, up. Aren't they both right-handed defensemen though? Let's see. Twenty. Friedman's first Phantoms was 2016-17, so I don't think they ever played together. Well, I'm glad you guys mentioned the pairings because. When you look at who can play with Ghost on that bottom pair, because the top two pairs are set. It Samuel real, Moran. It becomes a real quagmire, right? Like you can't find a guy that's going to be able to play with Shane Gossespierre in that bottom pair. At least with Braun and Hag, you know that you've got a dependable pair. That being said, I am now of the opinion that I think Justin Braun might be on his way out. Yeah. Um, and it's because of the money thing. and But it's also because, well, you can get a lot cheaper of an option to maybe pair up with Robert Haig. And you do have to pay Haig still. And I don't think it's going to be an exorbitant price. But it's going to be a raise. Yeah. He's making 1.15 well, right now. Even on a okay. lesser deal, he's probably going to ask around the 3 million range, just considering he still gets used pretty much every single game. I think he'll get two, two and a quarter. Um, but literally, you could put Friedman in that bottom pair spot. And don't forget, Sam Morin did play with Robert Haig in Lehigh Valley. Yeah. So they know each other fairly well. I mean, there's cheaper options out there. Now that would be a pair. Wow. Well, you know what? Right now, I'm not too confident in Sanheim's ability to play defense. <laughs> Morin would have um, to carry Sanheim. <laughs> you know... <laughs> He can skate, and I'm not giving up on the guy at all, but my God, he was one of the worst defensemen on our team uh, this Islanders series. Like, I, I was to, really disappointed. I used to dream about a Sam Moran, uh, Shane Goss's bear pair years ago, but in my dreams, they were on the, you know, top line, kicking ass and taking names, and next Chris Prong or next Scott Niedermeyer put together, and now they're... <sighs> not that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I look, I, I look forward to seeing how Mark develops. Mark Friedman. I really liked watching him with the Phantoms this year. He was their top yeah. guy by far. When he got called up, I believe he played what half a dozen games or something in NHL. Never once said anything I complained about him about. I, I, I don't know where he fits in the NHL. I don't know if he's a full time guy, but he's a guy. You know, he's the ideal number six seven defenseman you want there that can come in and play and not really screw anything up, and uh, you know can eat the minutes that are given to him. So. I definitely think he's one of those good utility players to have around. I don't know what ends up happening here with the defense. I don't know. I, I'm kind of with Manny on this one. I don't think Braun comes back anymore. Uh, if just for the money alone, I would assume he still probably wants in the three million range or so. Uh, Haig, I think they bring him back, but I'm not even convinced they do that yet. Myers obviously gets resigned, but you know they still have. Uh, Moran and, and uh, Friedman around. So there's quite a few people fighting for this spot, and that's assuming they don't make any upgrades, uh, you know, in, in free agency or via trade. So I'm very interested to see how those blue line have shaken up, because other than the top four of Prorov, Niskan, and uh, Sanam and Myers, I really don't know what, you know, it looks like going into next year. 
Well, that and the other thing, too, is you can't forget about, you know, some of your prospects coming up, like Igor Zamula. They're really high on, and he has the potential to be, you know, a really good defenseman, too, if that, you know, kind of all works out. So, you know, they could take the chance and just let Haig and Braun go, and then you would have, you know, uh, you would have a, a Mark Friedman step in, and then maybe you can see if Zamula pushes in for camp. And then you have that um, Swedish guy. I forget the name off the top of my head. Hogberg. Um, yeah, no, I think there wasn't, wasn't there like a Sandine or something like that? That's a something forward. Like that? He's the winger. Oh, never mind, yeah. Um, yeah, Hogberg was, yeah, Hogberg was the guy. So you you have, and Cam York way down the line a little bit too. He's more of an offensive defenseman. So he's kind of like your Shane Gossespierre coming up the pipe, but you don't know how he's going to be. But it's like, you do have like a, like an Igor Zamula that could maybe push something out of camp. So I'm sure Chuck Fletcher and Elaine Vigneault are definitely going to come at it because they are at least a little bit more sound in mind when it comes to the whole, I think, Gossespierre Hague thing. And they're like, yeah, Haig worked with Braun. Haig is a very stable. He is a six-man. We're not just going to jettison him because we think he's crap and all that other sort of thing. You know, they're going to look at it, and I think they'll probably make the right decision. I mean, we're hoping that they make the right decision. Chuck Fletcher really hasn't, you know, done anything yet to, you know, make us all hate him, but that's probably coming down the line. It all does eventually. Well, let's speculate. Let's speculate. Let's have some fun. So Ghost 4.5, Braun is 3.8. So that gives that brings us to what? 8. Point, you 8 want me to do math? Right? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just trying to do it in my head really fast. It's like, I don't know, what is it? 8.2, 8.3? Something, like something like that. You let Grant go. That's 700K, 750, 800, whatever he was making. All of a sudden, now you're getting into a price range where a defenseman like Tory Krug, oh, or I put that out on or, Twitter the other day and got eaten alive for it, <laughs> or Alex Petrangelo, and on the surface you're going to sit there and go, "Well, that's crazy." The Flyers are going to have to sign Carter Hart, Sean Couturier, Claude Giroux, etc., etc., etc. And I get that, but let's just have fun with this for a second. If you do bring in a guy like that. First of all, you're basically telling, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Boston Bruins, the other teams that are in the running for a guy like that, we beat you to the punch. And you know what? We've got a leg up on you now and we still got a leg up on you. So you're it's good from a competitive standpoint. After next year, I could definitely see Matt Niskanen not being a flyer anymore. Yeah. And that's five and change right there that you can save. And then if you get a guy like a Krug or a Petrangelo, you might be able to swing a deal with Travis Sanheim and get a forward in here or, or trade him with a forward and get some sort of blockbuster player uh, in return. If you're willing to give up a pick and a prospect too. I mean, there's lots of little you know things that you can kind of play with and tinker with if that happens. So I think the centerpiece of it all is ghost, unfortunately for people, uh, you know what ghost just has to go as a starting point. And I think the sooner, the better. I don't think you can wait for the draft here. I mean, teams are already, you know, the Blues traded Jake Allen. They're freeing up space because they want to run at Alex Petrangelo and keep him as a blue. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs ripped off the Pittsburgh Penguins and freed up cap space because they're probably going to try to make a push for a player of that stature. I think Chuck Fletcher's got to be a little bit more on the ball here and, and get this thing rolling and free up some space ASAP. Yeah, I uh, suggested Krug on Twitter earlier in the week, and people were, oh, we don't want the cap, we don't want it. Here's the thing. 
I think somebody like him who's still, you know, he's in his prime, essentially. Even if he's not your top guy, I think it's clear that maybe Matt Niskanen can't carry the load of your number two. And if you even just, not necessarily get rid of him, but if you can move him down to your third pair, you know, where he can kind of focus on less minutes and do his thing and do his thing, but do it well in a lesser amount of role where he's not counted on. You can have somebody like Myers go up to the top pair, test him out, and you can have Krug and Sanheim, and then and then Niskanen and, and Moran, or Niskanen and Haig, whoever. You know, and all of a sudden you have somebody like Krug that gives you the flexibility here. Because I, the, the biggest issue with this defense is it's pretty set in stone, and I don't think that's good. I think having pairs is good, but there, there's no fluidity. It's Provrov and Niskanen, that's it. And it's Sanheim and uh, Myers, and that's it. You know, you typically don't see a lot of movement. I mean, you, you didn't this year. You know, when Goss's bear was good, he was up there with Provrov and getting chances, but you really haven't seen that. So somebody like Krug... Uh, I, I would uh, I would definitely have my eye on if I was Chuck Fletcher. I don't know if it's going to work out contractually, but as Manny was saying, there are ways around this. As tight as they are up against the cap, there are moves that can be made that aren't totally wild, you know, that, that aren't unthinkable, that, that could free you up some cap. Getting rid of Ghost, not re-signing Braun, you know, there are ways here where they can dig up some money that it's not impossible that they could find a top guy or two this summer. I absolutely agree. It just makes things interesting, right? Like when you talk about getting a player like that, you look, think about what that would do to the power play. If you got a Tory Krug or a Petrangelo, it would change the look. It would change the, I mean, if you had him and Provorov, either one of those guys with Provorov out there, it would just be a deadly power play to, to try to stop. And if you go out and you, and you, I know all the Twitter people have been raving about Patrick Lyonet. And I know a lot of people are calling him one-dimensional and this and that. Well, you know what? Have a one-dimensional goal scorer is actually not really a bad thing. He would fit um, in well on this team being one-dimensional. It's well, something the Flyers needed for years. Think about it. Do you think that the Flyers would have been 0-4 in this series if they had Patrick Lyonet on their power play? Nope. No way. Sure. And that those power play goals make a difference in a tight series like the Islanders series, which they had no business winning anyways, but that could have turned the tide. And if you look at it, he was still on pace for 34 goals this year. Had it been a full season, his lowest is 30 since coming into the league. Like all he does is score goals. I don't see how it's a terrible thing. The interesting debate would be, would you rather have him or the feel good Joyzy story of Johnny Gaudreau being in Philly? I think I'd rather have Wine. I'm I would from too. Jersey. I don't have any connections over there. And that's me coming from a Jersey boy. <laughs> I went to the same high school as Johnny, so it it would definitely be fun to to see him, uh, you know, in orange and black. But I think purely from a needs perspective, I'd much rather have Line A. I, I guess it just depends on what we'd have to give up to get either of them. Probably. Didn't Johnny just sign a huge deal? A couple of years ago, ago, I think, yeah. I think he only has, like, two or three more deals left. Or two two years. years. Yeah, yeah, he's got two years left. Oh, he signed it oh, okay. in 2016, actually. Uh, I thought I heard something about him signing this year. Got, yeah, two years left at 6.7, which I believe is exactly what Liney is making as well. Something. Liney is uh, one year at 6.7. And he's still restricted. I could be something to look into. Has he fixed That's... his teeth yet? Did he shave his beard yet? 
No, his teeth were pretty hideous. Even going back to the World Juniors, you're like, ooh, <laughs> guy needs to look at a dentist. Get some orthodontics work, man. Patrick Laine. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, yeah. He's got a, uh, he's got a weird face. <laughs> I don't think that Chinese facial recognition software would work on him, do you? I don't He's pretty uh, hard to miss. Probably would. I can't imagine there are many people that look like that. Yeah, but I think the overall kind of point is like, I think now that we we can see where this young core is going, I think we need to add to it and we can see that we, we don't really need to rely on vets, but we need some sort of super superstar. We need some sort of guy who is going to show up. We need like Armand Barzell. We need our, you know, think of any kind of superstar or elite player in the league, especially in these four teams that are left. You know, they all have a player who is stepping up and coming up, your Heiskanen's, these type of players, we need some sort of star power. Our star power could be, yeah, Carter Hart, but, you know, you still need but, someone yeah, to score the goals. We're not scoring goals. So if we can go out and it's going to hurt, like we've we've talked about this before, it's going to hurt. It's going to cost something. It's not going to be pretty, but the best teams do it. The best teams go out and get these players. I mean, even look at the Islanders. They didn't think they were going to make it, but they they – Gave up like a first, second, and third for Jean-Gabriel Pajot, and Pajot was all over the ice and scoring goals against us. So, you know, getting some sort of superstar type player or getting some sort of impact player like that is going to be necessary for this team going forward. I don't think you can rely on just this young core and then kind of hoping that uh, JVR, Giroux, and Voracek step up because clearly it's like those players are diminished. They're not as good. They're not as good as they once were obviously so we need to get some sort of proven superstar or some big up-and-comer to get in here and really kind of push this team to this next level tory krug nine goals 49 points which is 13 more than provarov had and patrick line finished with 28 goals and 63 points both of which would easily be number one on the flyers yeah who would want that like seriously Oh, well, He's you, you got to ask what their analytics are, though. Oh, <laughs> of course. Well, I mean, and that brings me back to, you know, Travis Konechny, who <sighs> signed his deal. I was a little bit like, eh, 5.5, I don't know. I thought that was a little on the higher side. Now, in the regular season, he did prove me wrong in that sense. But the argument that I hated was when people would say, well, 5v5, he's got as many goals as David Pasternak and uh, I forget some of the other like star players uh, around the league that people were mentioning. And I was like, dude, he's not David Pasternak. Like, are you kidding me? Like you, you offer up, uh, you know, connect for Pasternak in a trade and you'll see how fast the Bruins hang up the phone on you. Like, seriously, let's be real about Travis connecting here. I did like his, his uh, effort and his play in the last you know, two, three games of the Islander series. I thought he really played uh, a lot better. Um, it is still frustrating, though, that he didn't get on the score sheet. Um, I don't know. Hopefully, uh, this is a learning experience for our guys. And our guys are really inexperienced. Like, this is a really good step forward for them. Like, this isn't a fake, you know, BS thing. Like, they went through some stuff in, in this year's playoffs. And it can only serve them well. 
Like even a guy like Sanheim, you know, guys like Konechny, you know, this can only be a good thing for our team. And and when you really look at it, Hart played the best out of all of them. And that's what you totally wanted to see going forward. We have full confidence in this guy going forward. And the rest of the league knows who Carter Hart is now. Absolutely. I mean, to to kind of address what Steve was saying earlier, you know, I think part of the reason people don't want to do the trades I think is especially with the homegrown players they become attached to them and yeah, they think yeah. that they're like better than they actually are um so when people see like trade rumors that are actually a fair price they think they're like grossly undervalued but that's what the open market would get for them like I think I saw a poll like a month ago that said like would you trade Sean Couturier for Jack Eichel straight up and like most people said no like I love Sean Couturier as much as the next person but yeah who did that I, I would I would much rather have Jack Eichel like no question who did that poll anybody know I don't know it's a mystery <laughs> I forget but it definitely had a lot of traction people were commenting on it there was about uh, 11,000 comments on that one actually if I remember correctly. but uh, Yikes. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I I authored that piece, and then I believe I believe Anthony was the one that actually put the poll up, but uh, yeah, that piece was uh, heavily critiqued. But yeah, I, I don't know the the I think Katie's absolutely right with, with fans putting too much stock into it. And you see it with prospects all the time, especially this uh, Morgan Frost fellow. You know, I don't know what to make of him. I, I watched him all year with the Phantoms. I think he's going to be a fine little NHLer one day. I don't think he's Claude Drew Jr. As as people claim to think, but I don't know. I, I think it's a constant theme. Gosses Bears not one of these guys. People, you know, he he was the first of the defense. I mean, he was the beginning of this rebuild, and I think people hold on to him for some odd reason. And it's just a common theme. But you know, as we've talked about in the Anger Negative show in the past, I don't care about any of these players. <laughs> like on a personal level, you know, when I was a kid, I loved all these guys, and they were superheroes. And this now I'm watching them, but they just they all aggravate the shit out of me every night. So. I'm you here to win, and that's what they got to do. You know, besides Sam Rand, that guy's got to stay because he's the missing link. But uh, <laughs> other than that, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I I would not miss anybody if they traded him at this point. If it means winning a cup, and I've brought this up with St. Louis in the past, you think St. Louis cares that they don't have Morgan Frost or Joel Farabee? No, because they have a Stanley Cup. You know, that's what matters at the end of the day, and um, that's what the Flyers are gonna learn. And thank God Chuck Fletcher's here. I trust him to make these big moves in the offseason for stars and, and, you know, making these big, uh, you know, these big-time trades that Ron Hextall wouldn't do. I don't want to trade a prospect for a 35-year-old. You know, I don't want to hear any of that anymore, and I don't think Chuck Fletcher's going to do that. I think, uh, I, I hope I'm pleasantly surprised by the moves he makes this year in terms of star power, and he really uh, goes out of his way to, uh, you know, uh, manage around the cap here which is going to be difficult but like i said not impossible and i think chuck fletcher can do it and if anybody can and they come back next year even better yeah and like you just said with the st louis blues look what they had to do they gave up like how many different prospects and picks and stuff to get ryan o'reilly and what did ryan o'reilly do that very next season brought them to the stanley cup so and those prospects that st louis gave up were turned out to be absolutely nothing too so it's like morgan frost may look like you know oh he's this great he's our best prospect coming up he's going to be a game changer but you know if you give him away to another team he may end up just being just another guy and you may end up looking like oh man 
well, thank God we got rid of, you know, Morgan Frost for someone else like that that could come in and be a game changer. So you don't know how these prospects are going to turn out because if you bring up Morgan Frost and he stays with the team and he turns out to be, you know, just an average 3C or just he doesn't reach his upside, then it's going to be impossible to trade him or it's go- you're not going to get as much value. Right now, Morgan Frost has a good amount of value. So if you're going to go and make these sort of impact moves, now is the time to strike. That's the whole thing with prospects. And something like that is like you're risking uh, the potential of that player being a really good player and making a huge impact on your team for cheap. But you're also risking it with going for a known commodity who you know is going to turn out well or who you know is going to bring a certain style or a certain type of, you know, intangible to your team. It's known versus unknown. So the Flyers have to now they are entering like we've talked about with these prospects. They're now entering that big kind of swoon. They're going to start getting ready to be perennial cup contenders and they're going to start needing to add certain pieces. And these prospects have to, you know, they all can't make it. So at some point you're going to have to start trading prospects and players to get to that ideal team that can make that cup run and that can bring you a Stanley cup. It's, it's no longer horde prospects time. This team has proven, okay, we're get we're pretty close to a Stanley Cup. We've proven that we're one game away from a conference finals. It's time to, you know, start putting the pedal to the metal and start getting ready to gear up and making these big moves to get us a cup because that's the whole goddamn point. Yeah, it's hard being a fan um, when you don't understand that these guys, I don't want to use the word, are dispensable, but there's always going to be somebody better than them that they can trade for. Yeah. yeah. And I mean if if you want to if you want to get good players, you can't just kind of throw all of the, you know, players that you don't like in the package and call it a day. You you have to if you want to get a player that's really good, you're going to have to give up good players too. And I think people kind of struggle with that. You know, whenever their GM makes a trade, they all want to always want to see them like fleece the other team that they're trading with and in the reality like that's not always how it works. Yeah, it's a real short-sightedness on the fact of fans, right? Like, they're too uh, attached to players, as Katie was saying, and it's it's just ridiculous. Like, you need to give something to get something. And that's the thing that I, when I always argue with people about trades, they always think that, like, you know, oh, well, uh, Morin and uh, Raffle and a second-round pick will get us, like, you know, a second-pair defenseman or or that 3C. Bite and I'm like, tongue, sir. Morin is a second-pair defenseman. <laughs> Well, you know what I'm trying to say, but but basically they're like, well, but but it happened before because Adam Larson was traded for Taylor Hall, and it's like, okay, so you named the one most lopsided trade probably in in NHL history, like in the last 25 years, and like that's your example that you're going to go with. That's how every trade is going to go down from now on. Like seriously, not every GM is Peter Shirelli, and. I, the only other thing I could say is that there's going to be GMs because of this crisis with no fans in the stands that are going to be feeling a little bit of the economic pinch. And I know yeah. that it sounds silly to say because these guys are billionaires after all. Um, but you know what? They became billionaires because they're notoriously cheap. Uh, and I've heard really lots of examples of people with that much money that are really pinch their pennies uh, quite a bit. But uh, if Chuck can get, a, you know, that's why the cap space is so vital. If you can weaponize that cap space and take a contract off of somebody, a good player, and, you know, 
maybe give, I don't want to say full value, but certainly something that's acceptable for the Flyers to move forward and to fill in a hole in this roster to make us even better and more competitive next year. That's what has to happen. I think after five years of Ron Hextall making really good trades, and he did, you know, pretty much every single move he made as far as a, a trade was a win. And I think fans kind of get complacent with that. And again, that goes into the, the, the rebuilding and all this stuff. And there's just, I think most people on Twitter maybe aren't quite ready. And maybe they don't know. And I mean, Caitlin's a perfect example. You're a fan for what, three years? You know, you don't know, you, you weren't around when, you know, 10 years ago when Paul Holmgren was here, you know, and brought in Briere and, and, and all these guys and stars and built the team and competitive, like, you only know Hextall, and maybe that's how some of this fan base is. I, I, I don't even remember what sparked it the other day, but something about that, a couple of weeks ago I brought it up, and somebody said, Damn, you know, I don't even know Hextall. <laughs> I know him for a year and a half. And uh, <laughs> the 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 fans, you know, maybe they're not around and they don't know. And they don't know what it is. And then they come on Twitter and tell me that we got to keep rebuilding. We already built for their 10 years. No, it's time to strike. It's time to make some moves. Time to win a goddamn hockey game or two and stop making me be sad at night. God damn it. I don't want to watch the Flyers lose anymore. <laughs> win some hockey games. That's all I ask. And uh, I think Chuck Fletcher is uh, Fletcher's the man for the job. That's all that matters. Because... Uh, time to win i mean the team kind of proved that it's ready to take that next step they're ready to get ready to start competing and you have a young core so it's time to add it's no longer time to hoard yes well agreed the uh time limit has expired here for the show so we'll wrap it up for the night don't have much on the docket as far as shows for the next few weeks probably gonna take a little while here and uh recoup take some time off and uh with the with the flyers um like we said at the beginning katie and caitlin will be joining me for sisterly pod uh once things get up and running again and uh that'll be a whole lot of fun i believe i'm back on wednesday night with anthony we're gonna be interviewing mark seidel he was a former minnesota wild scout and I uh, believe you did some coverage for ESPN as well. He's going to talk some prospects, the upcoming draft, and we're going to ask him about prospects in the flyer system, see if we are overvaluing some of these idiots. And, uh, probably. One more Angry Negative show. That'll probably be Tuesday as well. We're going to get Nick on, and we're going to have our full rational thoughts that aren't post-game mode. So uh, that'll be that's pretty much about it as far as what's going on here for the near future for Brotherly Pod. We'll reassess in a couple of weeks, and... Uh, be back but until then at Dan the flyer van at brotherly puck at heart countdown underscore which i guess i don't need to plug right now because who cares it's not gonna be winning any games for a few months but uh let's go around the uh room here steve where can people find you on twitter i am at snapple apple on twitter s-n-a-p-p-1-e a-p-p-1-e i'm probably gonna yeah i don't want to but I'm going to start writing my best and worst of the Islanders series. I got to find a worst, and there's a lot to choose from in that four game or in that seven game series. So it'll be. That's the hardest part. (laughs) I mean, yeah, could I just go with the default answer of Carter Hart? But, you know, I feel like that'll get a little bit stale, but I'll have to, you know, take a little bit and think about what I want to write about. But that article should come up. Hopefully, I'll try and get it done this week. I'm dealing with a new puppy, and she's taking away all my attention, rightfully so. So I'll, I'll work on it. Manny, 
Uh, it's at Manny, M-A-N-N-Y, Benavidez, B-E-N-E-V-I-D-E-S. Check out all my work on brotherlypuck.com. And I just a big thank you to all of the listeners out there, all the viewers of the website. Thanks for the kind wishes. I saw a bunch of them on the Twitter machine yesterday. Really made me feel a lot better after that loss yesterday. And I would love to end on a musical note. Just bear with me, guys. Can you hear? Can you hear this? I got a song parody at this season. Are you ready? As I'm ever gonna be. Yeah. Sure. <clears throat> that it? Can you hear that? No. No. <laughs> oh god. I, I got everything set up there. Oh, oh that's terrible. That is so BPW radio right now. <laughs> it was it was the, it was the ghost it was the Ghostbusters theme, and uh, I I put some words because uh, Jim inspired me when we made our picks for the next round. So it's uh, when the Flyers lose and they don't look good. Who are you gonna blame? Nate Thompson. When the power play sucks, they don't score a goal. Who are you going to blame? Nate Thompson. But of course, the music <laughs> didn't go through. So anyways, thanks, guys. It was great. Okay. Uh, we would have gotten copyright claim for the music anyway. It's a good thing that didn't go through. And uh, um, what we're even worried by train of thought is, is left the station. Uh, uh, Katie, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at uh nolan patrick uh n-o-l-a-n p4 t-r-i-c-k and i just want to echo manny's statement uh thanks for everybody for you know checking out the site and and reading all of our work this year it's it's been awesome and we couldn't do this without you who read our work and listen to our shows caitlin uh i am at reese mode on any social media that uses the at sign and don't uh forget to check out the blade shades promo giveaway um Use the promo code BROTHERLYPOD um, for 10% off on our site. And we are still doing the giveaway, so we'll have more details on that if you go to the Twitter. I'll uh, retweet that on top of the Brotherly Puck right now. It's behind all the uh, uh, live tweets from last night. But, yep, I gave my big sappy thank you speech yesterday. But, uh, yes, end of season two here at Brotherly Pod, and uh, we cannot ask for better fans at this point you guys are phenomenal thank you all for reading for listening for following along on the twitter for whatever it is we do here on a nightly basis thank you all so much till next time everybody goodbye and good night